0: Jane Brown.
1: Libby is back on the show tomorrow. We turn now to the issue of increasing numbers of COVID patients needing hospitalization and how that's affecting other patients, surgeries and treatment. We know hospital CEOs in the COVID gray and red zones have been told to make more room as in 10 to 15 percent more room for people arriving at the hospital with COVID-19. So how do they make this happen and who gets bumped? if that is the case, to make this happen. Joining us to talk more about the growing crisis in some of the GTA hospitals is Dr. Chris Simpson, incoming Executive Vice President of Medical for Ontario Health. Dr. Simpson, thank you for being with us here on Zoomer Radio.
2: Good afternoon. My pleasure, Jane.
1: Now, Dr. Simpson, the memo to hospital CEOs sent yesterday by Ontario Health President Matt Anderson um, is from your government agency. Ontario Health is a government agency. Explain for us the roles and responsibilities of Ontario Health and how this warning came from your agency.
2: Right. Uh, Well, Ontario Health is a new agency. It's it's an amalgamation of several uh, Crown agencies like Health Quality, Quality Ontario, Cancer Care Ontario, and others. Um, and it's been in existence now for for about a year. But our predominant role is really to support um, Ontario's hospitals uh, right now through the pandemic. But uh, down the road, it will be to uh, uh, support them uh, as they carry out their mandate uh, post-pandemic. But right now, it's pr- predominantly pandemic work.
1: Is this the first uh, warning issued by Ontario Health to hospitals during the pandemic?
2: Uh, we, we've done a lot of uh, work uh, uh, to help support the hospitals, including uh, developing guidance around how to use uh, personal protective equipment, um, how to restart the system after Wave 1. That was a, a lot of guidance that, that came from us. Um, and in uh, September and October, we provided some guidance uh, to the hospitals uh, as to how to uh, weather the storm, if you will, for the, for the coming Wave 2, um, among many other things. So we, we try to bring uh, guidance and advice Uh, by assembling uh, experts and talking with patients and families and to try to get um, um, uh, a consistent uh, approach across the system.
1: So how does that work? I just want to get the background before we get into what's happening in the hospitals. How does Ontario Health know what the situation is across various hospitals, in this case primarily the GTA? Are you reaching out, is your staff reaching out and talking to individual hospital administrators to get that information and then make a decision on a warning?
2: Yeah, we do have access to a uh, very very sophisticated data so we we can monitor the situation in in great detail day to day we meet regularly with the the regional leaders um, and uh, are in very frequent uh, conversation with with hospital leaders as well so there's there's uh, a lot of conversation going on and then we try to support them with uh, with data and show them where they are relative to their hospitals in their area and then also relative to their other peers in the province
1: okay now you say the province has entered a critical phase of the pandemic where there's widespread community transmission we're certainly seeing that in the numbers how does that affect individual hospitals in those areas
2: Right. Great. Great question, and the the answer, very simply, is that the, uh, the local epidemiology of a region, so the the prevalence of COVID nineteen uh, or the or the prevalence of positive tests, as we often track, um, very very nicely predicts for us what is going to happen downstream, as we say, in the hospital sector. So, if on day one we see oh, there's an uptick in in positive tests and then day two it's even more and then it starts to double and double again. We know that a few weeks down the road that's going to translate into uh, very sick people having to come to hospital and we know that a little bit after that we're going to start to see an uptick in, in um, critical care or, or ICU needs. So um, we, we know just from the prevalence of disease in the community that that predicts the impact on the hospital sector and it gives us a little bit of time to anticipate and plan for that.
1: I'm on the line here with Dr. Chris Simpson, incoming Executive Vice President of Medical for Ontario Health. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Let's talk about the situation with the hospitals in the red and gray zones. The hospitals that have been asked to create 10 to 15 percent more inpatient beds for COVID patients. Um, This is... How how easily is this done, hospital by hospital?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question again. And uh, the answer is, of course, it's not easy. Um, but I think we're, we're well equipped uh, to create that capacity. And, and there are several ways to do it. Um, w- one way is to help um, what we call a patient throughput or, or patient flow. Uh, so for patients who are in hospital but uh, their care trajectory is destined to be uh, some somewhere else, say complex continuing care or a rehab facility or, or somewhere other than the acute care hospital, uh, we can work with uh, those other hospitals and the regions can help lead this. Uh, to accelerate that flow um, and get patients to where they need to be, so that the acute care hospitals can can have more capacity. and And the other way, of course, is to um, use I, I like to call it the dimmer switch model, where we anticipate how much more capacity is needed. We look at some of the scheduled care that is um, planned um also known as elective uh, surgeries and procedures mm-hmm. and and turn them down just enough to create the right amount of capacity to accommodate covid i think what we really want to avoid doing is creating too much capacity because um you know it's it's very easy in quotation marks to just stop doing uh, elective uh, procedures as as happened in in wave 1 but if if the if the net result of that is that we leave capacity on the table uh, you know, if, if the COVID wave comes and goes, and we had empty beds, then th- then that means we we uh, we dimmer switched too much, and so we have to look after both the COVID patients and the non-COVID patients, um, and finding that balance so that we squeeze every little bit of capacity out of our system that we can is is the challenge, and and the solutions will look different for every hospital depending on their unique profile, uh, their workforce. Um, you know, where else in the region patients might be able to go instead, you know, how do we load share some of the uh, of the hard-hit areas with with areas that have a bit more capacity. All of that kind of um, working together piece, I think, will ensure that uh, the burden of this wave is, is uh, shared equitably.
1: So will you folks at Ontario Health then be the orchestrators? Are you effectively... Um, the agency that puts the puzzle pieces in place. So in other words, um, if, if you use checkers as an analogy, you would be moving patients who need elective surgeries where there are too many COVID patients to another hospital to have their elective surgery, or would you be moving COVID patients to other hospitals where they have space? How would that work?
2: Well, I, I think any and all of those things could be possible and um, the way that I would position Ontario Health is uh, you know, providing guidance and oversight and principles and articulating the goals that we're trying to achieve. The, the regional um, tables or the sub-regional tables in, in some cases um, will be the, the people on the ground that, that make those kinds of granular operational decisions in partnership with hospitals. So, they may sit down with Hospital A and say, wow, you really got hit with a lot of COVID patients in the last week Um, if if we just left it as it is you'd have to be stopping all surgeries and procedures but maybe hospital B 40 kilometers down the road still has some capacity to do those elective uh, procedures Um, so one possible scenario might be that patients could be offered to have that procedure in another center that's that's one scenario that that could unfold.
1: That, I would think, would provide reassurance to a lot of people out there listening who have surgeries coming up or cancer treatments or screenings that, you know, you don't mind going to a different hospital as long as you can still have the procedure.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And, uh, in fact, that's always been the case. Um, but of course we, we get attached to our, our healthcare providers and, uh, and our own home hospitals and there, there's some comfort in that. And I, I think we understand that. But in, in a, a situation like this, I think you're, you're right. A, a lot of patients would say, you know, I, I don't want to wait another six months for my hip replacement if I can have it done, um, you know, down the road somewhere, um, more more than happy to do that.
1: Let's talk about the numbers, Doctor Simpson, uh, in terms of how many COVID patients are hospitalized, and where they are in the system.
2: Yeah, there's. Um, I, I didn't see today's numbers, but we're 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 up quite a lot, and the the uh, areas that are most affected are. Uh, uh, Peel and Toronto and York, um, Durham has recently recently increased a lot. Hamilton has recently increased a lot. Windsor has gone through the roof. It's I think now uh, uh, behind Peel in numbers, but it's it's sort of in second place. So the the, the vast majority um, are really in 20 hospitals um, out of the 170 or so. Uh, Hospitals. So this really is right now um, a uh, a Toronto and Golden Horseshoe um, sort of issue uh, with with those particular hospitals. Uh, Other hospitals in the province are, um, you know, relatively unaffected. Many of them have COVID patients, but it's not affecting operations the way it is in in those 20 hospitals.
1: You know, it wasn't too long ago we were hearing that 150 COVID patients in ICUs in provincial hospitals would be putting the system. Uh, in a crisis position where surgeries and treatments uh, of other maladies would have to be canceled. It seems like because now we're up around 250 or 260 COVID patients in the ICU, somehow uh, that's either been adapted to be able to accommodate uh, the other patients or some patients are actually receiving phone calls saying your surgery or your treatment is being put off.
2: Yeah, we're we're certainly hearing from some hospitals that they are starting to ramp down uh, some of those procedures, but you know it's Im- it's important to understand that um, the only surgeries that would need to be postponed in a plan like that would be surgeries that do require an ICU stay after uh, the surgery is done, and many surgeries, as you know, don't require an ICU bed; they just require a, a regular d- a bed, depending on the kind of surgery. So, th- so that's the kind of strategic approach I think we we need to. Um, uh, to to take to this and rather than just saying everything elective and scheduled gets canceled we have to say well wait a minute um what what does that give us if if we schedule uh, or, or if we if we postpone Mr uh, Smith's surgery um uh is that going to create uh, a bed that we need um yes or no and and if the answer is well that doesn't really address the need for incoming covid patients then we're encouraging Mr Smith's surgery to still go ahead so it it requires a lot of planning a little bit of a crystal ball um but, but being smart about using our resources I think as best we can uh so that we 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 provide care for the non COVID patients as well. But certainly uh in, in some of the hot spots there's no question there's going to be some reductions in uh scheduled or, or deferable procedures.
1: We also know today, Dr. Simpson, there will be an emergency meeting of the Ontario Hospital Association Board of Directors. Will they be discussing uh, more of the logistics uh, that you're talking about right now? And uh, what exactly will they be doing in terms of connecting in this meeting and trying to prepare for more of a crisis than
2: what we're already in? Yeah, I haven't seen the agenda for that meeting, so I don't know what they're discussing. But certainly uh, they've been great partners um, and um, have uh, worked with us to help develop this guidance as to how to strategically uh, hit the dimmer switch, not not the on off switch like we like we all did in in wave one. Um, so we'll we'll look forward to their, uh, their deliberations and, and continuing to work with them.
1: And outside the GTA, Windsor-Essex, uh, the COVID hotspots, is it possible that other hospitals outside of those regions could come in to help in terms of using air ambulances, that kind of thing, to transport patients from these hotspots to areas where the hospitals might be a little more quiet?
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's... Um, when we imagine patients moving around or even, um, uh, you know, healthcare workers moving around, we imagine that happens sort of within, um, uh, within regions or within areas. Um, but certainly I don't think it would be off the table to consider uh, patients uh, or resources uh, moving from one center to another uh, in in extreme situations, um, but but I think we know that patients and families really don't like to be 300 kilometers away. That's quite a, a burden for them. Um, but but certainly, I think um, having an all of system, holistic approach to this. Um, in the in the interest of equity and in the interest of delivering as much care as we possibly can. I think all of those things are on the table for discussion.
1: Well, you have uh, provided a lot of needed information because we know the bones. We knew the bones of what was going on that uh, hospitals in the COVID hotspots need to make more space for COVID patients. But now we understand uh, how that's actually going to happen. And I really appreciate your time and explaining it to us.
2: I have enjoyed the discussion. Thank you very much. Chuck.
1: Thank you. Dr. Chris Simpson is incoming Executive Vice President of Medical for the governing agency Ontario Health. Uh, Ontario NDP critic Marit Stiles is on the line with us. Marit, thanks for taking some time.
3: Oh, thanks uh, for inviting me.
1: Uh, We've just been speaking with Dr. Chris Simpson uh, at Ontario Health uh, about the situation that is becoming even more critical in primarily the GTA hospitals because of incoming COVID patients and and trying to organize things so that there are more beds for COVID patients, but so that other patients don't have their surgeries or treatments bumped. Uh, I I know the role of the opposition is um, to be critical, but I have to say, after speaking with Dr. Simpson, I do feel somewhat reassured that they know what they're doing.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, look, I mean, obviously, we look to our medical experts uh, and our public health officials um, to use their expertise in these moments, and it's so critical we listen to them. Um, I, I guess what I would say is, of course, you know, while it's reassuring that he would say, you know, we'll look at other hospitals to potentially open up spaces for people who, so that we don't see as much delay in surgery. Um, I, I I have to say, you know, that's not sustainable and it's going to cause other issues. And, and we know that uh, that everybody is doing their very best. But look, I mean, the situation that we find ourselves in, there's there's no question it's concerning. I, I, I'm i worried. Uh, I think most Ontarians are deeply worried to see hospitals being told to activate their emergency plan. Um, And of course, you know, one of the concerns will be, will people have to wait uh, for important procedures? Uh, will they see their surgeries delayed? And I really appreciated what he said about the efforts being made to try to ensure that doesn't happen. But, But, you know, at the same time, we know that it will happen in some cases. Uh, This is what we've all been trying to avoid. And so I think it's disconcerting. And and we, you know, as you mentioned in the opposition, uh, certainly one of our jobs is to be critical, but it's also to propose solutions. And I'm a little disappointed that the government uh, did not uh, take certain actions. I think if they had, we might not find ourselves in this situation.
1: And to be fair to the New Democrats, uh, in recent days, even weeks, you have been proposing solutions. Where do we go from here? And I know that's an extremely broad question for a very complex situation. But in terms of the lockdowns, the red zones, the hospital situations, (laughs) um, whether we uh, restrict, we put more restrictions in place as they're about to do in Quebec, what do you think is the way to go? here?
3: Well, look, I mean, there's a number of things that have to happen. And certainly in terms of the zones and those restrictions, that the, the word has to come from public health. It's essential. Um, but, but what I will say is that waiting for a vaccine, the way that Mr. Ford has been doing and, and talking about over the last few days, does not seem like much of a plan. And um, we know that uh, the Premier, that the, the government has been sitting on $12 billion in COVID fund, in COVID relief dollars. And we think this is the time where the government needs to, to spend some of those in ways that are going to help prevent the spread, the further spread and transmission of COVID. So, you know, introducing workplace testing. Uh, starting out with large workplaces like manufacturing facilities, uh, expanding in-school testing province-wide. We've been calling for that for, for months and months. Uh, we need to catch those asymptomatic cases before they cause more of an outbreak. Um and of course, you know, we've been talking about this for, for, for months again, is, is guaranteeing paid sick days, paid family care days, so that parents can, workers can stay home uh, if they're sick or if they have a child that's experiencing symptoms. A lot of people right now just don't have that ability. Uh, they can't isolate at home uh, because they'll miss a paycheck. That's just a choice nobody should have to make.
1: We've been hearing a lot about that. And now with the break until February 16th, how likely are we to see that trickle down from the federal government uh, versus the provincial government?
3: Yeah, I mean, the legislature... Uh the legislature adjourned early last week. We we certainly in the opposition made it very clear we were opposed to that. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done, um, and and so I think the government should do what they need to do. If they need to call the legislature back to get some of this done, they should do it. We would be completely open to that. We want to get back and do the work that needs to happen. In the meantime, there's a lot of things they can just do that we would support, like like uh, you know many of the measures I spoke about today. Uh, there's no question the case numbers are. Are very concerning and and we need to do Everything and anything we can to prevent the spread.
1: And the case numbers in long term care are also uh, correspondingly very concerning. Uh, not to put you on the spot, but I know it's on your radar. Deputy Leader Sarah Singh was talking about it in the legislature a couple of weeks ago, and that is the CARP campaign uh, calling for Premier Ford to fire his long term care minister, Dr. Fullerton. Oh, yeah. Um, that has gained a lot of traction. The online petition has seen thousands of signatures. Yeah. Uh, is, is that part of the solution? in your mind, in your view? You know, I I have to say,
3: I I want to thank CARP for doing that. I I think it's really important that the voices of Ontarians are heard on this matter. I certainly personally have suggested that the Minister of Long-Term Care should have resigned. She should have resigned back in the spring when the first outbreaks happened. I mean, it was a massive failure of government and a massive failure. Anybody in that position should offer their letter of resignation right away. I, I'm appalled that she didn't do that. And uh I'll keep pushing for it. And you know, I, I have to say it's it is it is though on the premier. It is on the premier at the end of the day too that he has not pushed her. Uh, on that issue and to resign. Um, but, you know, what's really astonishing to me now, actually, is that we haven't seen the lessons learned. We saw the outbreaks in the spring. They were absolutely awful. Uh, we saw so many lives lost. And yet here we are again. And we know that the solutions were there to limit that um, impact in long-term care facilities, to limit the deaths. And and here we are again with the same things happening. It's 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 absolutely... Um, it's absolutely terrible. And the government knows what they need to do. And I, I mean, I, I don't disagree that the minister should resign.
1: Mara, we'll leave it there for now. As always, we really appreciate your time. Oh, it is. It is my pleasure. Thank you. NDP critic Mart Stiles. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.